Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. Amen. Oh man, I love that song. You'll see soon uh, how that ties in with our sermon. Hey kids, you ready? It's that week. Christmas is here. You ready? No. <laughs> That's how I feel. So around staff, they call me the Grinch. I am not a fan of Christmas. But that's not fair. Okay, It's mostly the gift-giving side of Christmas that I don't like. Like, I love the traditions of Christmas. Like, growing up, we used to do a puzzle every year. Like, this thousand-piece puzzle is huge. And I remember being a little kid, and they're just... I couldn't do it. And then every year I'd get better and better and better. And it was just something fun we did every year. And that was fun. It was a fun tradition. I love sitting around with my family and eating food. Like, that's great. I love that part. I love now as a pastor, I love Christmas Eve services. Like, I love it because this is an opportunity that our church has to invite hundreds of people into our community, into our building that normally don't come to church. And we have an opportunity to smile at them and greet them and show them who Jesus is. Like, I love Christmas Eve. And I hope you love Christmas Eve, too, for the same reason. I don't know if you saw on your chair sign-up sheets uh, for greeting for Christmas Eve. Like, I would love for there to be, like, dozens of greeters. So when somebody comes through the doors this Christmas Eve, there are multiple people smiling at them. They come and sit in these seats, and like, these people care about me. And maybe, maybe once they have that experience, they can hear what's said in this room. And they can have an experience with Jesus that makes them want to come back the next week and the next week. So if you want to help us make Northridge an amazing place that people want to come back to each week, please sign up and help us out on Christmas Eve. Like, we need your help. We, like, all you have to do is smile. Like, I, I see most of you smiling at me right now. You can do that. Like, most of the jobs don't require any personality, which some of us don't have. Um, but you can all smile. And we'd love to have your help. So, so fill that out. You can give it to me after service. You can drop it off at one of the welcome centers. You can put it in the offering boxes. But help us out. We would love to do that. I don't know about you, but I've been loving this series, Fulfilled. Like, this has been great. When we were talking about this at the beginning um, of Jesus before Christmas, like, I'm like, uh, I'm not sure about this. But as we've gotten into it, like, I've really enjoyed diving into the Old Testament and really seeing this plan that God had from the very beginning all the way up until Jesus. And we've talked about all the, the prophecies Jesus has fulfilled, how he's greater than David and Moses. And today we're going to talk about um, a claim Jesus made about himself that's a little bit uh, harder to understand. Next week we'll talk about one Jesus talks about himself that's very clear. Uh, but this week... We'll get there. But let me, let me start with something else. Rejection stinks, doesn't it? Like, nobody likes to be rejected, right? It's to be ignored, to be forgotten about, to be not invited to something. Like, like, that's something that we think back to high school, middle school. Like, do you remember what it was like to be in high school, middle school? Like, I want to fit in. I want to be with the in crowd. It, it seemed like... All of life was all about not being rejected, right? Guys, let me, do you remember the first time you asked out a girl? Like your heart was beating? Like what if, what if she doesn't feel the same way about me as I feel about her? What if she laughs at me? 
What if she says no? You're like, like you're afraid of rejection. Remember the, the funny story. The first time I asked out my wife, I had two tickets, great tickets, to an avalanche game. You guys, it's a hockey team. We're in Georgia. You don't know what hockey is, right? It's on ice. You, know, you skate around. I had great tickets, floor level. I go ask my wife, you know, would you like to, would you like to go to a hockey game? She asked me, who else going? Oh, so my fear of rejection, I say, uh, you're the first I've asked. And so I asked other people in our church. I was the uh, young adult intern at the time. And we had 13 of us go. That Friday, 13 of us went. I sold my good tickets. 13 of us sat in the nosebleeds way up high. We had a fun night. It was great. Um, later that night, uh, after talking, having fun, I, I told her the truth. And 10 years later, here, here we are, history. But rejection sucks. Nobody likes it. Girls, I don't quite understand your minds. I think, I think you, you fear rejection too, but it's not like guys. Guys are afraid of what girls think. I think girls are more afraid about what other girls think about them. Yeah? No? Yeah? Guys that are dating in this room, young guys, enjoy it. Because once you're married, they're no longer going to get dressed up for you. They will only get dressed up if there are other females involved for them to impress. Sorry about it. Truth. But we, we never want to put ourselves in a position where we're going to be rejected, right? That's, if I know I'm going to be directed, I'm, I'm just not going to go there, right? And that's what makes what we're going to talk about today so incredible. It blows my mind that Jesus would choose to come to earth knowing he was going to be rejected. Like he knew he was going to be rejected and he still came. We know this from our, our core passage today, Psalms 118.22. It says this, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Like, what does this have to do with Jesus? We'll, we'll get there. Jesus quotes this passage about himself later. But for many of us not steeped in the study of the Bible, this, this can be a bit cryptic. So let me explain this, this passage to you a little bit so we can kind of get there. But this was a, a psalm of ascent. Basically, it was a song that they would sing at their festivals every year, kind of like our Christmas songs. So, like, everybody would know this song. This song was written hundreds of years before Jesus, 800 to 1,000 years before Jesus, probably about 3,000 years before us right now, if that helps you understand. But every Jewish hearer would know this. It starts with praise, and it ends with praise. And in the middle is this verse where, where we see both an immediate application and a messianic prediction. The immediate context is a king, probably King David, we're not sure, but it's probably King David, who's been rejected by many. Um, obviously, the kings around him hate him. Um, people in his own kingdom dislike him. But yet, he was still made the cornerstone. Do you know what a cornerstone is, right? It is the most important stone in a building. Like, if you're building a stone building back in the days, as they would, the first stone you'd place would be the cornerstone. It'd be the biggest, the strongest. If you placed it wrong, the whole building could collapse. If it was a weak stone, the whole building could collapse. It's a very important thing. The king is saying, I was despised, rejected, you know, it's made the most important part of the kingdom. It has to be perfect. And so that's, that's the context of what we're talking about. Jesus quotes this verse, Matthew 21, referring to himself as the rejected stone, when responding to the Jewish leaders. But long before Jesus, scribes, the teachers of the law, they would have understood this verse to be a messianic prediction. 
we understand this because uh, the Targum, you probably hadn't heard of Targum. I hadn't heard of the Targum before. Uh, this, the scribes would write this. This is like a paraphrase of the Bible, kind of like our message for our Bible today. But this was the paraphrase, and they wrote it this way. Same verse, the boy the builders rejected. He was among the sons of Jesse, and he was privileged to be appointed as king and ruler. Boy, I mean, that's, a, that's an easy translation for them from stone. Stone is Eben, and boy or son is Ben. So it's very easy for them. And sons of Jesse, the sons of Jesse, we understand that David, right? And then David's offspring. The scribes knew that the coming Messiah was going to be rejected. They knew this from Old Testament passages like Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. But it's the way that Jesus introduces this passage to us that's amazing. Like, here's the thing. You and I, as English speakers in an American culture, we miss so much of what Jesus says. It's, it's sad, really. We think that Jesus is just a simple teacher, kind of boring. Like, he has a wittiness to him, a cutting to him, that we miss so often. And this is one of those stories where Jesus kind of blows me away. When I look at, at the culture and what Jesus is really saying, like, this is, this is getting at the heart of the matter for some of these people. Let me set the scene for you. You can follow along with me in Matthew 21 if you want. Matthew 21 is where we're going to be today. Jesus is in the temple courts. He's teaching. And the elders and the leaders of Jerusalem, they come to him. And they say, we have a question for you. By what power and authority are you doing what you're doing? Who has given you permission to preach and have miracles like this? Jesus knows that they're trying to trap him. So he says, I'll answer this question if you answer one of mine first. John the Baptist, his baptism. Is it from God or is it from man? They go and they talk. Well, if we say it's from man, the people will stone us because they think he's a prophet. But if we say that it's from God, they'll say, why didn't you believe him and follow him? So they come back to Jesus and they say, well, we don't know. Jesus says, okay, I'm not going to answer your question either. And then he tells us two stories. I love these stories. The first one is about two boys, two sons. Father asks them to go work in the fields. The first one says, nah, but he goes and works anyway. The second son says, sure, I'll do it. But then he gets busy on his, his Wii, his PlayStation, you know, and he doesn't go and work. The second story is where it gets good. They both kind of have the same meaning. We'll get there. Matthew 21, 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenant to collect his fruit. The tenant seized a servant, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more like the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He'll bring those wretches to an end, they replied, and he'll rent the vineyard out to other tenants who will give the share of the crop at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. There's our verse right there. Like at first glance, this may not be that remarkable. But to any Israelite listening to the story, they would have immediately known what Jesus was talking about. Throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites were often referred to in, in writings as vineyards. So the Israelites were vineyards. The, the, the God was clearly the owner. The, the servants he sent were the prophets of old. And the chief priests are the tenants. The chief priests and the elders are the tenants. And Jesus is saying, you have been entrusted. You have been entrusted with the care of Israel. But you've taken those prophets of old and you've beaten them and you've killed some. And then God sends his son. You see where this is going, right? Jesus is predicting his own death at the hands of the chief priests and the elders before they even do it. They think that by killing Jesus, they are going to prove that he's not the Messiah. Jesus is proving from the Bible. He is proving from their own scriptures that your plan is proving that I am who I say I am, that I am the son of God and I'm coming to save the earth. They're put in a no-win situation. You can see that in their response. They say this. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds because the people held he was a prophet. Fulfilled long before Jesus came to earth, before there was a baby in the manger, before a a young lady who was pregnant took a trip on a donkey, long before there was the magi and the priests and the star and the angels and the flocks of goats and all that, long before any of this, Jesus knew he was going to be rejected. He knew that his own disciples were going to betray him. They were going to deny him. They were going to run from him. He chose to come to earth in a hard time, in a hard place to live a hard life, to die a hard death for you and me. He chose that. He knew that long before. For those of you that are observant, you'll notice I skipped over a couple passages. I apologize for that, but let's back up to verse 43. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people that will produce its fruit. As Jesus wraps up the story, this is the, the, the answer to both of these. This is what both of these stories mean. It means that whoever is doing the work, whoever says, it doesn't matter if you say nah, but if you go do the work, those are the ones who are going to get inherit the kingdom of God. It's no longer whether you're born into the right family, whether you're born into the tribe of Israel, whether you have the right lineage and heritage. None of that matters anymore. It is open to whoever is willing to give God the glory and give him the fruits from the vineyard. That's you and me. You and I now have access to this, and it's amazing. But then there's this next verse. This one's a bit cryptic, and we don't quite understand it when we just read it. And it says, anyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Whoever was hearing this verse, they would have been standing in the Temple Mount at the time, and they would immediately thought about these stones. This is from the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. And actually, the temple would have been up above, but this is all we have left. But the temple would have been made of similar stones like this. You can see the difference 
uh, of, say, a clay pot or something, falling on one of these being broken, as opposed to being crushed underneath one, right? That seems pretty obvious to us. For you and I in this room, each one of us has been broken in one way or another. We have fallen on the king, on the cornerstone that is Christ, and even broken. For some of us believers, it was, it was an eye-opening moment when we realized what Jesus had done for us and just broke our spirit. There are others of us who went the hard route, and we just hit rock bottom, and we're broken by the world and our sin, and we needed a Savior to put us back together. However we came to be broken, it doesn't matter. We were never meant to be left broken. Jesus never intended for us to stay that way. There's, there's a beautiful art form in Japan called kinstaguri. Pretty sure I said that wrong. Kinstaguri. And it's where you take a broken pot and you fix it with gold. And the end result is, is more beautiful than what it was before. I, I love this because this is the exact same thing that Jesus does with us. He takes us broken people and puts us back together in a way that we can never imagine. And that's our sermon in a sentence. Jesus was rejected so you could be perfected. Jesus was rejected so you could be perfected. There's also the cautionary side of this. You don't want to be one who gets in the path of Jesus to oppose him and to deny him and be crushed under that cornerstone. That is a dangerous place to be because you are left powder that is blown away in the wind. Let's not do that. But what does this mean for you and I? Jesus is cornerstone. First, it means everything points to him. Everything points to him. When, when an engineer looks at an ancient building, they see the strong points, and, and they go back to the, the most important part, which is eventually the cornerstone. Everything eventually points back to that. That's the same thing that we've been trying to do for the last five weeks here at Northridge. We've been painting this picture for you for how God had a plan from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, that there was a plan to bring the earth back into redemption, that, that it's almost like a funnel. Everything is pointing to Jesus. There's a Messiah. There is something coming. Something is better. The world is groaning under the weight of darkness and sin, and yet something is echoing. There's something better. Something is coming. And Jesus a baby in the manger. It's here. It's happened. But that's not the end. That's only the beginning. Because now, everything is built on him. Everything flows from him. It's kind of that funnel. Everything is pointing to Jesus. After Jesus, everything comes from him. The kingdom of God is built on Jesus. It's the same for the church as it is for you and I. The church obviously has to be built on the cornerstone of Christ. Otherwise, we're nothing, right? The same is true for you and I. You and I, when we come to Christ, we have to change our cornerstone from me, which I like, and there is now a new cornerstone. And my life and my direction in my life is now changed by that cornerstone. I don't know if you've ever built a, a stone-stacked wall, but if you have, you, you know that the very first stone you place affects the rest of the wall, doesn't it? The size and the shape and the placement of that first stone changes how the rest of the wall looks because 
It's the first one. You can't just randomly put other things. When you become a believer, the size and the shape and the direction of your life has to change. It has to. There's no way for different parts of our lives to fit in with the cornerstone as Christ. There are parts of you that will have to fall away and die and be removed. And that's hard. For those of us in this room that have said, yes, I believe in Jesus, but the shape and the direction of your life never changed, you're going to need to do some reevaluating. Because the way we live before Jesus is not the way that he wants us to continue to live. He has something better in mind for us. The same is true if, if you're not a believer in this room. You haven't made that decision yet. Let me just warn you. Choosing to make Jesus your cornerstone is hard. You're going to have to give up some stuff. You might lose some friends. It will be difficult. But I can promise you that what he has in mind for you is far better than anything you have in mind for yourself. You can try to build your life to look like what you think is okay, but it will almost always turn out like these Pinterest fails. Have you seen these? I, I spent way too long looking at these. When we try to build our lives, what we think is best, the way we think it ought to look, we always turn out like satanic duckies. Because we simply can't do it. We can't do it on our own. Jesus came, Jesus was rejected so you could be perfected, not so you could be good enough, not so you could be okay enough. He came for you to be perfect as he is perfect. But let me end with this. As we're talking about Christ rejected, I have to warn you, for Christ's followers, you can also expect to face rejection yourself. When you build your life, when you build your wall on the cornerstone that is Christ, the world will not like you. You will look different than what they think you should look like. You will act differently than what they think you should act like. And Jesus has promised us that we will face rejection for that. You can see this in Luke 6, 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the same of Son of man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. We were never promised an easy life. As Christ followers, we were never promised an easy life. But we were promised a life of beauty and joy that we can live in hard times. And then we have eternity. So I have chosen in this life to live like no one else so that someday, tomorrow, eternity, I can live like no one else. And my prayer is the same for you. My prayer is that as you've looked at this plan that God had through all of history, that you've realized that there is something different and better for you that there are parts of your life that no longer match with what God has for you, and it's time to make a change. That's my prayer for you.
I'm going to live, as Paul says in Galatians, am I, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's time to stop pleasing people. And it's time to live like no one else so you can live like no one else. God, we come before you. And there are parts of our lives that we know do not match, do not stack upon, do not go with the cornerstone that is you. And so we are asking you to remove us from ourselves. God, we are asking that you change us, that you change the shape and direction of our lives so that we can be perfected. God, for those in this room that haven't yet made that decision, God, I'm, I'm begging you, draw them to you. Show them the life that they could have that is built on you. It's so much better than anything they could imagine. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at